Welcome, Welcome to the Author Factor Podcast, the show for profitable insights and tips with business owners, entrepreneurs, and CEOs who use their nonfiction book to create the ultimate competitive advantage and grow their business. Grow their business. Grow their business. Here's your host, Amazon best-selling author and book publishing coach, Mike Capuzzi. Welcome to another profitable episode of the Author Factor Podcast. I'm Mike Capuzzi, and I want to thank you for joining us. My guest today is Connor Boyack. Connor is the president of Libertas Institute, an award-winning free market think tank that changes hearts, minds, and laws in favor of a free society. He's the author of 35 books and is best known for the best-selling Tuttle Twins book series, a children's series introducing young readers to economic, political, and civic principles. He has sold over 4 million copies of these books. Connor, welcome to the Author Factor podcast. Thanks for having me, Mike. I appreciate your time today. And I want to jump in because I know you're, you've got a hard stop here. Connor, 4 million copies of a book is impressive. I want to understand how you did that. But before we do that, I'd like to take a step back and just hear more about what you do today. It's impressive what you've built and how you're literally changing the world. Well, so Libertas Institute is a nonprofit I founded about 11 years ago, and it's what's called a think tank. What that means is we kind of come up with strategies to change laws that, from our kind of free market perspective, are causing problems for business owners or for individuals. Um, we've done that now for over a decade. We're really good at it. We've changed over 100 laws, We've many of which are the first of their kind in the whole country that uh, these laws that we've got passed. A few years into it, uh, my children at the time were five and three. And uh, so my oldest, my son, you know, I, I would come home at the end of the day. Hey, you know, what did you do today? And oh, I played with so and so or we went to the museum. But when my son was five, he started to reciprocate that question periodically. Dad, what did you do today? And I'm like, uh, I typed on a computer, you know, like, how do you how do you talk to a five year old about how you fought eminent domain that day at the local city council? So. I went on Amazon. I, I literally tried to find another book that would help me teach some of these kind of like property rights ideas, criminal justice reform, personal freedom, free markets, and uh, came up short. There was really nothing for this younger age demographic. And I spent a couple of weeks kind of, oh, I wish there were something. And then I was like, wait a minute, I talked to other people about entrepreneurship all the time. Here's an idea smacking me in the face. I had been talking about this with my partner, who's now our illustrator, my, my friend. Um, and so he he agreed as a dad himself. He's like, I want this for my kids. So we teamed up and we did one book with no vision of what it would become. There was no like strategic plan. There was no nothing. We just were like, hey, we want to birth this thing into existence and see what happens. Uh, from there, you know, we attracted readers who gave us a lot of input, which led to a second book. And uh, now, gosh, we've got 20 plus books overall in our series and, and more to come. That's amazing. And uh, I mean, and, and the Tuttle Twins is only part of your author uh, repertoire, if you will. That's right. Books have been an important media for you, obviously, over the last decade or so. Just love to know, you know, why books, though, Connor, even with the, the uh, Tuttle Twins, like, you know, why yeah. a book? Why not a little video or a little app or something? I, I used to blog a lot back when blogging was huge, 2005, 6, 7, when, when it really kind of spiked. And I really liked the format, but I found that I was drawn to kind of the issues of the day and the, the kind of fleeting issues that if people go back and read, you know, that post a year from now, it's kind of stale. What I really have liked about 
uh, books, including all my nonfiction books that I write just for general population or adults or whatever, um, is that it really encourages me to think through, you know, I want someone to read this 30 years from now and have it be as impactful on them as someone today. I want something that's a bit more permanent, a bit more uh, long lasting, a bit more of a legacy for me where, you know, my thoughts and ideas can affect people for years and decades to come. Um, you know, it's great for brand building to be known as an author, to have uh, people reading your books and wanting more, uh, people who invest the time to read or listen to your book, I find are going to, it's like having, you know, a business coach. If you spend $10,000 on a business coach, you're going to implement the ideas far better than if you just read a you know, free article online and it gives the same type of advice. We, we act on what we invest upon. And so for me, books are nice because people who are taking the time to read or listen, they're investing in those ideas. They're investing their scarcest resource, perhaps their time. And as a result, I can have more influence on people by writing in a book format rather than just, you know, more blogs or video, which I also do. And I think are important to, for any author as a well-rounded marketing initiative to have those other <clears throat> channels to communicate. But I found books to be the longest lasting and the most impactful. And you're right, you have sort of two parts of your library. You have your nonfiction, some are business rated, I would say business focused, uh, family focused. And then, you know, I guess the Tuttle Twins are considered fiction. Is that is that right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. And they're, they're, they are illustrated. I, I haven't read any of them, but um, they're illustrated books. Yeah, they're all illustrated and, and almost all of them are fiction. We do have a, a little series for teenagers that are nonfiction, uh, it's our guidebook series. So for example, the Tuttle Twins Guide to Logical Fallacies and every chapter is a different, it's like a critical thinking book. Every chapter is a different logical fallacy and we have some fun little cartoons that break it down. We share some stories so they can kind of see how that logical fallacy plays out. So we thought for a teen audience, we could get more into nonfiction and explain complex ideas in a fun kind of format. Focus on Tuttle Twins for a bit. You mentioned that you started this what is now an amazing brand without really a strategic vision. It's, it's become something pretty big these days. How do you even make the decisions Connor about what books to publish in that, you know, in that series, are you doing market research? Is it whatever is on your heart, whatever you think is the market wants? That's a great question. We, we crowdsource a lot of ideas from our community. So I've got a long list of potential books that I'll never be able to write them all. But, uh, but that's great raw material for Elijah and I, my partner, to review when it's time to work on the next book. And typically what we'll do as we work on a book is we will identify what in that whole list most speaks to us and the, the time right now. So, for example, when COVID was happening and they were doing all these bailouts and the PPP loans and all this money was thrown around, we were concerned from an economic perspective about what that would trigger, especially inflation, which we're now experiencing so we did a book called The Tuttle Twins and the Messed Up Market. And it's all about how these interventions create problems that, you know, these, these government planners can never foresee. They're just trying to kind of, you know, solve the short-term problems, but there's always these downstream long-term effects. And so things like that, where we'll see what's going on in the world right now, what would parents want to talk to their kids about to help them understand how the world works. And so typically our, the new books that we work on are kind of timed to, respond to what's going on so that they're of most value to parents. 
And at this point, are you still writing them? Do you have a team behind this now? Is it, is it a little bit bigger than what it started out at as? Yeah, I'm, I'm still writing and Elijah's still illustrating. We've brought on, you know, editors and assistant illustrators and things like that to support us and, and take away some of the more kind of menial uh, parts of the task. You know, one of the best thing when you say 4 million, you know, as I reflect on my journey to get here, like I have a team, I have a warehouse where we have like 30 teenagers packing books all day long. We sell on average about 4,000 books a day. And, uh, and so I've got this warehouse full of teenagers every day, just packing stuff up. And one of the best things that I did as an author was not listing on Amazon. Um, most authors, I think the problem for most authors is that they see themselves only as authors. What I tell aspiring authors or existing authors who come to me and say, Hey, how did you sell so many? What tips would you give? I said, well, you need to think of yourself as three quarters marketer, one quarter author. The problem is many authors just, you know, release a book and they sell it to a few friends and family. Print on demand has really helped, right? Because before the traditional problem was that author would have, you know, 3000 copies of his book in his basement, right? Now you can just print a hundred at a time and no big deal. But then the new problem is, well, wait a minute, I'm not selling very many. I'm not having the impact that I wanted. And I think the biggest problem is, or, or perhaps one of the biggest problems is that when you list on something like Amazon, you have no clue who your customers are. You have no clue who's reading your book. I want to know everyone reading my book so that when I write another one, I know exactly who to market to. Or when I'm doing a public speaking thing, I have people to share the video with. Or when I launch my coaching service, I have people that you know I can market that to. And for me, as an author, the greatest impact I've had um, certainly besides the books is the list is the ability to communicate with this community that I've developed. And so it was, it was painful early on. I would every night when I got home from work, turn on Netflix or whatever, and just pack up, you know, the 13 orders I got that day, drop them off at the post office on my way to work the next morning, um, figured it out, figured out how to print postage labels and whatever. Then I hired a part-time person and then a full-time, and then it just kind of slowly grew from there. But in retrospect, it was the greatest blessing to what I'm doing today because I have this massive community behind me who I can directly engage with. Um, and so that's kind of the biggest piece of advice I give to authors is you need to learn marketing or have someone close on your team who can develop this for you. Um, and where possible, try and sell books directly to your customers on your own website uh, because it's long-term gonna have far more impact for you than just listing on Amazon having a spike in sales with your friends and family and your immediate network, but then immediately you're at the bottom of the rankings and it's very hard to get out of that in the years to come. Connor, yeah, it's, it's all, you know, very insightful advice, but how, I mean, I'm going to have to ask this because yes, I mean, I'm on Amazon, our client, some of our clients are on Amazon. Uh, I agree with you. Um, there, there, there are valid reasons to be on Amazon, but I totally get, now our books are meant to elicit response so that people at least raise their hand. Uh, so we, mm -hmm. we can learn who they are, but you know, selling that many books is impressive. Up up till this point, our our record for uh, a, a interview on the Author Factor podcast has been about a half a million nonfiction books. Mm. You now take the record. <laughs> How did that happen? I mean, I know you the books are big in homeschool. The homeschool market is that right? Yeah, yeah, they're big in the homeschool community. They're, I mean, but they're actually our audience is split right down the middle. It's about 50% homeschooler, 50% traditional, you know, public or private or, or charter school. For those parents, they like our books because these ideas really aren't being taught in schools uh, so much anymore. If anything, quite the opposite ideas. And so those parents like that when their kids come home, they can kind of give them a foundational understanding. 
But you ask a question that I think has a deeper answer behind just, you know, who's responding to our books. I think your question is, is if I were to answer it this way, the question is, how, how have I reached that audience? How have I built that audience to then buy those books and, and sell as many as we have? And the simple question or the simple answer is connected to the previous one I gave. It's by selling the books directly myself, I have opened up more of a profit margin with which I can engage in paid advertising. Last year, I spent probably $5 million just on ads for all of these books. So I have over the eight years we've done this very slowly at first, and then like the snowball going down the hill, it, it picks up speed. Um, I have been able to take that profit margin on the books and turn it around into ads to sell the next book. And so all of our books that we get, for me, I'm not trying to build revenue off the book sales. I'm trying to build a brand and I'm trying to reach a ton of people, which has other downstream opportunities um, as well. And so the problem with listing on Amazon, let's use a $10 book, for example, our, our children's books are $9.99. So, you know, you got your cost of goods to print the book. And then Amazon, usually, unless you're doing uh, FBA, but traditionally, if you're selling enough books, you're uh, giving them to Amazon for 55% off. So you've got a $4.50 sale. And if you're doing print on demand, your cost of books is probably around, you know, two to $3 on average. And so you're making a buck a book, which in the traditional publishing world is the royalty that most authors get is about a dollar a book. The problem with both the traditional publishing world and the Amazon approach that I just said is that there's really no money for marketing. There's really no opportunity unless you hit massive scale by getting on Oprah or whatever, where you can invest that type of money. And so whether you publish with a small to medium publisher and they don't really have a very big marketing budget because they've got all their overhead and all their people to pay, or if you just list your book on Amazon and use create space or, or, you know, sell your book directly, you don't really have any money to play with. Contrast that against people who come to my website. So let's use my very first book. When I first started, they came to my website and I was selling my book for retail price, $9.99. But I said, you know what, if you upgrade to $17.99, I'm going to also give you the audiobook, and I'm going to give you this activity workbook that goes with our book. So your kids can read the story and they can do the crossword puzzles and the fun stuff. I created additional value. And so people would come to my website and they, you know, most of the time would upgrade. So now I'm doing a $17.99 sale and I did, uh, I, I, I invested in doing, I never did print on demand. I went traditional printer. So my books were about a dollar a book. So now I'm $17.99 on the sale. I'm a dollar or whatever on the cost of goods. I got like 15 bucks to play with to go do ads. And that was enough to start to get that slow, you know, snowball running to the point where then we were selling dozens a day, then hundreds and now thousands. And it's because we internalized the process. We, we want everyone to come to our website where they can buy from us, where I can capture all the revenue and not Amazon. Um, yes, this does take work. And I think that's why most of the people I talk to in my consults never go that route because you do have to figure out all the logistics and do it. But that short-term pain creates, from my perspective, massive long-term gain. Um, and so that's how we've been able to grow the community we have and sell as many books as we have is because we are very aggressive in our marketing. This year, we'll probably spend five to six million on ads just for the books. Not, not because I have outside investment or anything like that. It's that I've, I've sold enough books to then recycle all of the revenue from those books into that many more. And hopefully in the years to come, I'm spending 10, 20 million dollars a year in ads because it's the self-sustaining machine where I'm able to capture the revenue and reinvest it into ads. Yeah. I mean, there's a famous marketing quote, like to paraphrase, he, can, he who can spend the most wins the most. And it sounds like you're in a living example of that. 
But just to, you know, if someone's listening to this, Connor, and you're inspiring them, if you look at that, you know, timeline, at what point did you, you know, did it take off sort of like a, you know, a curve where it was, you know, you were, you were being a little more tentative in the beginning, or were you just sort of balls to the wall right from the get-go? No, I mean, I was running my own Facebook ads in the beginning. I didn't know what I was doing. I had to learn, you know, now I have an agency that manages it all. But, but yeah, it was, it was slow at first. I, I had to shut off ads several times because it was costing me more to acquire a customer than I was selling. So I had fits and starts at first. It was like, oh, this doesn't work. I'm giving up on, you know, Facebook ads. And then a couple months would go by, okay, let me try again. You know, I've sold a few books organically. Now I have a little bit of money to go play with. And so it was, it was trial and error for a while. And, uh, and we started in 2014. Things kind of picked up uh, in 2017. So another bit of advice I give to authors is not to write one book, it's to write three. Because when you have a trilogy, when there's a series, when there's a set, there's something psychological about that. So even if you take just your one book idea, just split it in three short books uh, uh, to kind of use your angle here. And, uh, and so when you have a series, people are, I think, psychologically willing to kind of pay attention a bit more rather than, oh, yeah, there's bajillions of random books out there. But, oh, have you read the blank series, you know? And so for us, when we hit three books in our series, that's when we saw an uptick of interest. And so we leaned into that and started investing more. And then the other changer for us was COVID. I mean, I, hopefully we don't have to recreate that to, uh, to have the success we did. But there were a lot of parents who were like, oh, what do I talk to my kids about? And the schools are shut down. And so we aggressively leaned into that with advertising uh, during that period of time. But, you know, for any, every industry, there's always going to be those different current events and things that you can latch on to. We were prepared for it because we had this kind of marketing machine built and we weren't sitting around being like, hey, how cool would it be to be able to do paid ads? It's like, no, we've been doing that a while. Let's now just lean, jump onto this opportunity and, and pivot a little bit. So, um, so yeah, like it, it started very, very slow and failed several times at the beginning, as I said. I, it's always hard to look at someone like me as a new author and be like, oh, I could never get to that point. But I was there too, and I failed several times. And you just have to, you know, sweat through it, figure it out, and chip away until you know you get the get that ball rolling. That's an important lesson in and of itself. And it also sounds like Connor. I mean, there was a certain level, maybe it was a certain big level of delayed gratification, right? Because a lot of folks feel like, hey, I'm going to eat today what I kill today, sort of mentality. Whereas you sounds like really, you know instead of taking the money out of the business and going on vacation or whatever, you just reinvest it. And really that's what, that's probably, you know, what, what helped that snowball effect. Very much was. And, and that's what I actually share in my consults. I say, you need to think of your books as your marketing investment, not as your profit center, right? So if you're, if you got a speaking gig, great, this is your lead generation tool and you need to build that self-sustaining marketing machine to just start feeding you tons of leads. Or if you've got a podcast, give away the book for free, you know, and have a free plus shipping offer where people can get your book for free because then you're capturing their email and then you can go upsell them on your exclusive podcast community or your Patreon or, you know, your Substack or whatever you're doing. To me, books are a great vehicle um, to, to build a list. That I, I think they're very difficult to generate a lot of revenue off of. If I took revenue out of my book sales and, and to, you know, personally profit from it, it would kill my marketing machine because I'm always trying to spend just above the cost of acquisition. Uh, ad costs are always kind of going up. How much it, you know you have to pay on Facebook to actually get someone to click and buy. And so I'm always trying to just be competitive and, and be profiting enough where I can then reinvest that money. Um, if I took money out and said, oh, Connor's going to go to Costa Rica, you know, whatever, then now I don't have as much money and I'm below the cost of acquisition. And then I start feeling like, oh, I got to shut these ads off and 
then the system starts to not work. So for me, I think of my book sales and for our Tuttle Twins uh, project as just this self-perpetuating thing where it creates these other opportunities for us, but I want to build this perpetual marketing machine for the books. And that that's kind of the, the secret sauce of how we've been able to grow as aggressively as we have. Connor, if you could just briefly, that, that back end, um, these other opportunities that you mentioned, specific to your Tuttle Twins customers and readers, what, what does that look like? Are you able to share that information? Yeah, I mean, so we have a podcast, so it's growing our podcast. It's called The Way the World Works, so it's growing our podcast community. You know, I go speaking across the country, so certainly it elevates my profile. It gets a lot of media attention for our organization, so we do a lot of earned media. Um, I am running a nonprofit, so we're able to attract a lot of donors to what we're doing because they came across our books and then wanted to learn more about us. Um, so I'm not in the traditional for-profit world where I'm really trying to aggressively extract a lot of that out. I'm in the nonprofit world, which, I mean, in a lot of ways it's similar, but it does afford me the opportunity to be more able to just reinvest those funds into the cause uh, and the project rather than feeling like, oh, this is my salary. Or, uh, But people, I've, I've consulted with many people who've done this uh, very successfully in the for-profit world as well. So it's not that this is unique to what I'm doing. But my opportunities that I have built around this are primarily for our kind of nonprofit projects and, and efforts that we're doing, just because that's kind of the niche in the world that I'm in. And as we get ready to wrap up here, um, just looking back, Connor, over the last decade, if you could, you know, tell yourself something that you know today, but you could go back 10, 11 years ago when you were first doing this, what would be that word of warning to your younger self when it comes to the book author, book publishing journey that you've been on? I would tell myself not to be such a perfectionist. What I have found in the past few years, we, we have become much more aggressive in our publication schedule. We're putting out a lot of books for, for toddlers, for teens, for kids of all ages. We have a monthly magazine now. We put out curriculum. We just released a history book. So we've become like exponentially more aggressive in how much we're, content we're putting out there. In the early years, it was, it was a lot slower because I was much more obsessive about, you know, have I gotten it right? Have I, um, you know... I'll, I'll give you an example. I, I just completed a book uh, that should be published later this year called Children of the Collective. And it's all about how throughout history, uh, dictators and despots have always tried to go after the kids uh, through their propaganda and, and so forth. So I kind of uh, chart, you know, how that's happened and what it looks like today. So this is kind of a general nonfiction book for, for adults. Um, I wrote that book over the course of about two and a half years and fits and starts where I had time. So it's taken me a little while. I sent it to the editor. I once I hit, wrote the conclusion. I didn't go back and reread anything. I didn't. Uh, early Connor would like, oh, okay, that's the rough draft. Now let me do the first draft. Okay, now the. I'm like, no, I'm going to send it to the editor. They'll tweak what's needed. I'll have a few. I usually have five to ten other people review the book um, and and send me feedback of critical things that need to be addressed. But what I found is that the amount of time I would spend on the perfectionism really inhibited my ability to go further faster. And so I've kind of let go of that desire to hit that final 2% of perfectionism and just uh, iterate a lot more quickly, put out content a lot more. To me, quantity has become superior to quality, even though that may, like I still want quality, but I'm not trying to hit 100%. I'm okay with like 95%. If there's a typo here or there, or fine, I'll fix it in the next print run. People are very forgiving. They don't care as much. I would rather sacrifice the obsession over that final you know, few percentage points and spend my time on more volume by creating, you know, more quantity. So that, that would be my lesson to me earlier is go faster, just be, be less picky and, and uh, put out more content more quickly. 
Awesome. And last question, you know, you're on the Author Factor podcast, and that's you know really meant to inspire others to do even a little bit of what you've done, Connor. I'd love to hear what being a published book author has meant to you and your business and your impact in the world. Oh, that's an easy question for me. It's, it's impact and it's legacy. Um, I do what I do because I want to help other people. I, uh, the ideas that I write about, the experiences I've had, are I, I know they are of a great service to the people who have read them. They tell me all the time. I, I tell people I'm a drug addict. My drug of choice is not the stuff Hunter Biden's using. It's not, you know, sugar. It's not caffeine. My drug of choice is dopamine. Uh, every day I hear from readers, the kids, I, I have this pile on my desk. So for those, if you're sharing this, this video later, here's a pile of kids writing to me that I still need to get through all their letters. And they're saying, thank you. And I love this book. And here's like, I'm addicted to this stuff, right? Every day I'm getting these little love drug kind of effects. And so that motivates me to continue. So for me, it's impact. It's also legacy. I, I want what I do to extend far beyond, you know, my lifetime and the preservation in a book format of those ideas, I think is an excellent way to do it. Um, because I, I don't want to be a blip on someone's radar that 400 years from now, no one knows who I was. I want to have made a mark on the world. To me, books are an excellent way to do that. Well, Connor, I think you've obviously made an impact. You're going to continue to make an impact. This has been awesome. I think it's very inspirational. So thank you. How can our listeners learn more about you? Where can they get your books? So all at t- uh, we are on Amazon now. Years later, we did list on Amazon, and that, they're now maybe like 1% of our, our sales, if that. Uh, so we point everyone to TuttleTwins.com, T-U-T-T-L-E, TuttleTwins.com. We're easy to reach there. We're all over social. You can follow me at ConnorBoyack.com. And I uh, really appreciate being able to come on your podcast, Mike. And your nonfiction books are where? You have another uh, so those are all on Amazon. Yeah, okay. if you go look up Connor Boyack on Amazon, you'll see everything that I've written. All right. Well, Connor, I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Thank you. And to my listeners, thank you. And if you found this podcast helpful, please help me grow by sharing with your network and leaving a review on Apple Podcast. Till next time, this is Mike Capuzzi. Thank you for listening to the Author Factor Podcast. To learn more about Mike's unique short book publishing opportunities, please visit bitesizedbooks.com.